you for joining Foundation for a Path Forward's anti-racism podcast. Our guest today is Yun Alicia Yao, who is the executive director for almost uh, over five years now of the Chinese Community Policing Center in Vancouver, BC. She's had an incredible and impactful um, uh, career and over the last few years has accomplished while doing that work also an executive MBA from the Smith School of Business at Queen's University and an executive MBA from Cornell University. Her master's of science, uh, she got from the University of British Columbia in organic chemistry and biochemistry, which is, uh, I, when I saw that, I, I smiled because my wife uh, got her uh, degree in physics in, uh, from UBC and is doing biochemistry uh, in, in University of Toronto now. So there's a, a lot of similarities there, and it's always great to see women uh, succeeding and excelling in STEM and, and business and community work. Um, so, uh, Alicia, uh, welcome to uh, the podcast. Ni hao ma. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast, and it's my pleasure to share my personal journey. Thank you for joining. Again, um, we connected originally uh, a few months ago, last uh, May 2021, on um, the Stopping Asian Hate, Asians and Allies United event. Um, and that was a really uh, impactful experience because, uh, as you know, during COVID-19, there was an uh, increase in hate crimes against the Asian community. Vancouver has the unfortunate designation of having been labeled as the anti-Asian hate capital of North America. We saw, you know, the crime, 714% increase in crimes, online crimes. So together we uh, worked on the program um, to really highlight what can be done, what resources are available, and what is the path forward um, in dealing with such a crime. So it was a very serious subject matter, but it was awesome to connect with you to learn more about what the uh, Chinese uh, Community Policing Center is and what it does the important role it plays and, and your role there. So uh, from that experience, uh, you know, we've built out a relationship and, you know, having you on the podcast today really gives um, our audience and ourselves more uh, of an opportunity to learn about uh, the, the you, the woman behind uh, the story. So let's start here with uh, maybe what, what brought you to Canada? What was your motivation in coming to the country? And when did you come? Like, how was that experience? Um, so I'm a scientist by training. I grew up in China and came to Vancouver 12 years ago for my PhD study in chemistry at UBC. Um, and as you mentioned, I have been the executive director at the Chinese Community Center for the past five years. And that experience, uh, you know, I think coming to Canada as, uh, as an immigrant, there's but my father was an immigrant uh, from Egypt. Um, you know, my wife's family were first-generation immigrants uh, from uh, Bangladesh. And there's a, there's a certain draw to come to Canada. Um, and uh, I think one of the opportunities, as you said, is the ability to pursue uh, higher education and then contribute uh, to society. So your background is as a scientist. What, what was it um, that made you take those skill sets and then uh, go into, you know, learning executive management roles, joining community uh, services. How did that transition happen? So it has always been very important to me that my work would benefit people and the community. So when I came here uh, for my PhD study, I chose a research project 
to discover potential drugs to heal uh, parasite disease, which could lead to death. Along the way, the more I interacted with people, the more I wanted my work to directly contribute to other people. And um, around two years in, I made the decision to change career. Changing career from chemistry to business and also transfer to a master degree program was not a very easy decision, considering all kinds of uh, people's expectations from family, friends, and uh, other circumstances because uh, I came on a scholarship. So Steve Jobs' famous Stanford Convocation speech really helped me to finally be able to make the decision. Like you got to find what you love, keep looking, don't settle, stay hungry, stay foolish. You have to trust in the end that those who are somehow connected in your future. Those words still encourage me even today. So fast forward, um, I went to a Chinese church and uh, at the church, um, I got to learn some Chinese new immigrants. They came to Canada as temporary workers, or permanent residents. And um, as I got to know them and their challenges, I found there are lots of uh, good English resources, um, only in English, and uh, it's not available to them due to both language barrier and uh, their personal life circle. And at that time, I realized I was really blessed to come to Canada as an international student with the community and the support from the UBC. So my thinking was really simple. If I get professionally trained as translator and interpreter, I would be able to translate all those uh, good English resources and um, so they can have access to it which led me to the UBC certificate of uh, trans translation and interpretation for business. And then when I saw the executive director position at the Chinese Community Policing Center was posted, learned what they do, I applied right away because it's perfectly aligned with my personal inspiration. So now it's our history. It has been over five years. And um, we'll get uh, into that because it's a fascinating story and an amazing work that uh, that you did there. Um, but you mentioned you were a translator. I saw on your bio that you translated uh, the Five Fingers of uh, God, uh, the book. So why don't you tell us about that? Because to be a professional translator is something that requires such a skill set in not only the languages of different um, uh, communities, but also the cultural understanding to effectively uh, conduct translations and meaning. So maybe tell us about the book and, and a bit of your experience in, in how that went about. Uh, I actually translated that book uh, before I got professionally trained, just uh, simply because of my passion. And uh, uh, the author of the book came to give a talk and uh, it, it had a huge impact on me. and. Uh, I feel uh, it's a huge loss. It's not available to Chinese community. So I asked the author, um, can I translate the book? So I worked together with my pastor 
and uh, translated together. And uh, that reconfirmed uh, my passion. I actually can do the translation. And um, yeah, that leads to the professional training. So you, you, you accomplished a great milestone first and then said, I could be a translator. <laughs> that's exactly. amazing. That, that, that's amazing. And, you know, sometimes um, it's experiences within a spiritual context that really help motivate our choices and our decisions. And as you said that, it was you being um, in church and seeing the need of people there. And then the inspiration for you was like, hey, I can, I can help. I can help build communication. So with that um, motivation, you, you transitioned over um, and applied for the executive director role of the um, Chinese Community Policing Center. Maybe can you tell our audience a little bit what is the center? Uh, what's its history and background, and and then and then we can get into your role there. Um, so the Chinese Community Placing Center uh, was established in 1992, and uh, the idea is to build the bridge between the Chinese community and uh, the police department, because uh, at that time um, the. Chinatown community uh, had been working well with the Vancouver Police Department. There was already a collaboration going on. And, um, and uh, the founders learned this model from uh, England and uh, established the first community policing center. And currently our um, services are three different level based on jurisdiction. Locally, we have volunteer-based patrol program to just be out there to be eyes and ears for the police officer. And uh, if they notice any suspicious activity, they would be able to uh, call 911 or other resources available. And the second level is in City of Vancouver, VPD's jurisdiction. We provide uh, language and culture-specific trauma-informed victim services to victims of crime who identify them as Chinese. Uh, most of our clients would only be able to speak Chinese. And uh, we support them along the journey through criminal justice process. The search level is uh, Greater Vancouver area we provide uh, safety talks to uh, Chinese communities. So they would be able to learn how to protect themselves, how to protect their loved ones. And our safety talk topic ranging from general safety to really specific crime like uh, senior abuse, mental health issues, domestic violence, pretty much anything you can name it. And I'm sure with the history uh, of community work and being part of the community, uh, you were well positioned to, to support them during uh, COVID-19 and the increase in uh, crimes that happened against um, our Asian uh, brothers and sisters. And one of the, um, the unfortunate things, as you said, is uh, there's been attacks, like physical attacks against people who just look Chinese, who look Asian. Has that been um, something that the community, especially those who only speak Chinese, have talked about? Have they 
Have they um, discussed it with you? Have they expressed their concerns? Um, and, and if so, what, what has been that conversation within the community? Um, it's interesting. We say the um, crime, anti-Asian hate crime race on media, but it's well, actually all the way along. And uh, it's more like COVID, um, I would say helped. All those issues came to spotlight. So there are lots of uh, frustration for Chinese community. Uh, for example, hate crime need to meet the two elements. One is the um, abusive behavior. The other is uh, they need to be able to prove the motivation is based on um, race or any other reason, religion whatsoever. So for Chinese, if I'm a Chinese walking on the street, someone just uh, rush over and hate me it's really difficult for me to prove it's uh, anti-Asian hate crime, not just assault. Unless this person was punching me and saying, oh, go back to your country or other words. And then even if they said that, if there was no witnesses, it would become to my word against to his word. With it's really challenging for the Chinese community to say, yeah, we say, um, as you mentioned, this over 700% uh, uh, anti-Asian hate crime report increased. But how many of the cases are actually charged? Go to the court. How many um, people were actually uh, being uh, not saying even sentenced, just saying uh, they're guilty of the crime. And that's we don't know. Yeah, that's something that uh, there hasn't been follow-up reporting on. Uh, it has seemed to be just, um, just the increase in reports. And as we know, the vast majority of incidents are not reported. Uh, most most exactly attacks, that. most crimes, they don't get reported. And, and there's many reasons for that. Um, but one of them is that people uh, might not understand how to do it. They might not trust the people they're reporting to, and they might not have the, the language or, or, or organizational skills because it's a bureaucracy to go and report things. So in your experience, um, Alicia, what has, been, what has been the kind of reasons people don't report these, these crimes? especially because you have a lot of experience with grassroots. So what, what would be, what are the main, like the top reasons people don't report? The biggest reason we experience is they don't feel, uh, they feel it's useless if they report. And especially if they experience physical assault, um, they are risking themselves and their family member to being uh, revenge by whoever um, conducted the behavior. But then uh, all the process going through, that person may not get charged and uh, that person, um, some of the cases may not even go through the court process. 
And even if it goes through the cut process, uh, it's a really long process. And uh, if they lost any um, anything, most likely uh, they wouldn't, let's say scan, they wouldn't get that their money back most of, for most of the situation. Yeah. And then um, if nothing happened, why would I uh, risk everything, spend the time, and I don't feel justice being done? And I maybe um, hold on the witness stand and uh, being cross-examined, ask all the questions, question my integrity, uh, my worst credibility. But in the end, if I don't say the justice being done, why would I go through that process? That's a very difficult situation for someone who was attacked or a victim to be put into, to not believe that their word would you know, follow through, that justice will be done, as you said. Um, I think part of it is, is there's systemic issues with the justice system in Canada. Um, it's slow at times and there have been uh, a lot of incidents where it's biased. Um, and I know that a lot of good people are working to change that. Uh, one of the um, areas that, that you guys work on, you said, is at the city level. So consulting with other communities, consulting with the government, consulting with uh, Vancouver Police Department. What have been some of your suggestions or, or your ideas of how to improve the legal process, especially for people who are the most vulnerable? people who don't speak the language, new immigrants, fake minorities, people who are just um, not represented in the places of power. What has been your kind of, um, the organizational's advice and, and suggestions for how to change it to make it better? Um, one area of course is to um, understand what the victim had to go through. The, to help not to re-traumatize the victim. That's definitely something. Um, I would say the entire system needs some, some level of change. I don't have the specific suggestions saying, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that, because uh, it's not just at one level. It's not just uh, saying uh, if we do police reformation, everything would be solved. That's not the case. And the entire criminal justice system, uh, in my opinion, need a review. And uh, lots of the procedures and the laws were hundreds of years old. And we probably need to take another look at of everything. And a lot of those laws were uh, racist in origin. I'm thinking of the, uh, you know, the history of the, the Chinese head tax um, that was implemented against uh, Chinese immigrants who came to British Columbia, um, uh, who really built a lot of the infrastructure that connected the province uh, with America, with the rest of Canada. Um, I know our First Nation friends uh, understand the systemic uh, racism in, in the legal system here very well. And it's, uh, it's a colonialist system, which means that it, its founding was designed to enshrine certain political 
um, and uh, levers of power it, as opposed to being objectively just. And I don't think that's a controversial statement. I think most, most scholars and legal scholars will agree that law is also a outcome of a society. Um, and uh, whereas originally it was a colonialist society that developed legal systems, nowadays we're starting to see more and more Canadians of all backgrounds look at the legal system and say, we need to fix it. We need to update this. We need to change it to make it more just. In terms of that understanding, that broader community uh, working together to accomplish uh, improved society for everyone and improved multicultural society, how has the uh, Chinese Community Policing Center worked with uh, other groups, other communities, maybe in particular our Indigenous friends? Our focus is to serve the Chinese community. And um, uh, as you said, lots of the time we're working silos. So we work with uh, our 70 plus community members, partners, but um, lots of them, the focus was only on Chinese community. And uh, we do work with the Aboriginal Community Center and other community center to um, increase the understanding. The, for example, um, come back to domestic violence. Uh, it's a really serious issue. And uh, here, police treat it very seriously. And um, we, when we were helping the victims, they were both sides of the story. One side is uh, they may not know this is a crime, so they don't report it and until really late and uh, it escalates to physical abuse, really serious. The other side is um, people may misunderstand uh, the police officer's role in Canada because in mainland China, we have some saying saying, if you have any issue, just call the police. So there were situations, uh, it's not criminal, but just a family dispute. Uh, husband and wife argue with each other and they all both got really angry. So once I decide to call police and that would be really uh, difficult for a police officer growing up in Canada to understand like what's going on. Why they ask us to do certain things saying, oh, can you talk to the, my spouse employer to talk about this issue? And so when we treat it really seriously, they say, no, 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 we don't want to, uh, we don't want the other party to get punished or hurt. We just want you to act as an arbitrator to help <laughs> us with our marriage issue. <laughs> that that's a very interesting uh, cultural difference. Uh, so uh, police officers as marriage counselors. <laughs> so I, I think that's a great point about the different perspective and 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 what a, a police officer is, is supposed to be doing. And and I think part of your your role is to educate both communities, um, the officers about what maybe the Chinese concept of a policeman is or a police person and then also the community of immigrants who are coming in about what the police officer's role in Canada is. So what, what has been that experience, that educational experience like? What has, been, what has that been like for you? Um, it's really interesting experience. For example, uh, for 
Chinese community, if generally, if they, if they hasn't uh, experienced any crime, when we explain to them, uh, they will be really understanding and uh, saying, oh, okay, this is how it works here. And uh, we, we also have some uh, like victim of crime. For them, it's really frustrating saying um, why they don't provide the help I need. But what you need is beyond the police officer's role here in Canada. And uh, yeah, emotionally, both emotionally and practically, it has been really challenging for them. Uh, from another side, the police officers, um, at the beginning when they didn't understand that there is this uh, culture background, how it was like uh, in China, they, they would feel really frustrated saying, I don't understand, <laughs> like, um, what's going on? <laughs> and after we explained, they said, oh, now they understand more. It's, um, some of the police officer would recall the previous uh, incidents the answer to, yeah, saying, oh, that made sense now. Yeah, that's funny. Because one of the things that we, we, we take uh, assumptions that police officers are the same everywhere, um, whereas it's, it's not true. And, and uh, we've done interviews with communities who have come from uh, countries at war uh, or civil war. And for them, the police officers are seen as a threat like they're dangerous, like they don't go to the police because they're afraid of the police. Whereas uh, your experience is like people go to the police because they think they do everything, which is, is the opposite of that. So, you know, that goes to show the importance of uh, cultural competency and, 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 and building awareness. So have you done uh, cultural competency workshops or educational seminars or events uh, with government, law enforcement or other organizations? Uh, we didn't. Uh, because uh, we're a small organization and we know there's some other big organization uh, was uh, advocate for that specific uh, area. Generally at Chinese Community Policing Center, um, we don't do lots of advocacy work. Yeah. It's, it's mostly a grassroots with the immigrants direct work with people who yeah. came to campus. And, and what, what, what do you spend most of your time doing then? Um, like what takes most of your time uh, in terms of uh, engaging with the community? What, what are the big issues? Um, well, I, I would say there are many big issues. Um, locally, Chinatown, the street disorder, it's really challenging for local businesses. And uh, as customers, if the street is not clean and uh, they don't feel safe, why would I go to um, visit the shops? And then without customer, how could those things survive? Yeah. And um, for the victim of crime, the biggest um, challenge would be the, not just the really prolonged criminal justice process, but also, um, because of the system's different, it's uh, hard for the um, victim to understand the Crown Council and rep represent the public. And the judge is uh, neutral. Because um, in China, in mainland China, 
uh, the judge and the Crown Council and the police officer kind of work closely together. Mm. And um, so the system is really hard for the Chinese victims to understand saying, I'm the one experienced the crime and why they don't believe my word. And uh, we can explain to them it's not, um, they don't believe your words. It's just the system's requirement. They need to ask these questions, but emotionally as if I'm emotionally compromised, like the system, yeah. I don't care. Yeah, they, it's like the feeling is that you're not being believed, um, which, which, you know, obviously in, in Canada, our legal system has, you know, due process assumption of innocence until proven guilty. So that requires them to kind of play both these sides. And, and I think part of it is, is understanding that if, if someone comes from a Chinese immigrant background, they have an emotional understanding that as law enforcement, if, especially if there's a large community in, in Vancouver, as there is, it, to know about that um, and to be able to uh, relate and understand. So I think, I think a lot of the, uh, the progress made in terms of building stronger bonds is, is just knowing these things. And that only comes about through communication. So again, it's like, it's so important to, to build these bridges with, with the institutions that protect our community. So for instance, if it's the Muslim community or the indigenous community or the black community or the Chinese community to have those relationships with law enforcement, those relationships with courts, those relationships with government. So people can gain a, a higher level of understanding uh, as, as you're saying, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to do it that way. Yeah, it's one thing to uh, increase understanding. It's the other thing to deal with uh, expectations. Mm. I, I can understand the process, but if it's I'm the one experiencing it and throughout my life, I had certain expectations. All of a sudden I came to Canada and those expectations wouldn't go away. Wouldn't like click the finger, it's gone. It doesn't work that way. And then it become personal. When it's not meant to be, when it's not intended to be. Yeah, it's, it's just really challenging. And, and do, you, do you engage with, um, with people before they have a bad experience or? <laughs> Usually, is it after they've had a bad experience that you get to meet them? What, when do you usually meet with people and, and try and, and make it easier for them? We're trying to, um, of course, engage them, engage with them before anything happens. So uh, we would have the opportunity to equip them, prevent those things from happening. Uh, but with a big Chinese community and also, um, if I never heard anything happen, I probably would think, oh, Vancouver is really safe and uh, I don't need those information. And so we cannot just shovel down the information if people <laughs> don't want it. For example, when I was at UBC, at least 50% uh, of the students, they don't lock the dorm doors because they think, oh, oh it's so safe here. And even their report, uh, like just generally, over 60% of uh, residential break and enter was because people didn't lock the door, didn't close the window, and it's easy access to the safe. Mm. 
well. So there's uh, that kind of belief that everything is so safe, so you don't need to take precautions. Yeah, we had um, we had people came in uh, reports um, reports uh, crime saying uh, their purse was stolen at a restaurant, and uh, when we were trying to help them reporting, what happened was um, that person was uh, having a meal alone. And they just uh, leave their purse on the uh, chair when they went to the toilet. And then after they came back, it was gone. Wow. So there's a, yeah, there's, a, I guess uh, on the one hand, it's good that Vancouver has a reputation that that's, it's very safe. But on the other hand, it's like these, you know, the safest place in the world still has you know, petty crime still has kind of biases and, and challenges that people need to be aware about. Yeah, definitely. So uh, raising the awareness and uh, to let people open to those information and uh, think they need it as, yeah, that has been like where we both spend most of the time. And do you connect with people mostly in the real world or online or on uh, WeChat or... How how do we how do you connect with uh, with people mostly? Uh, mostly in the real world, so called in person, our phone call. Yes. Oh, okay. So so there's like that kind of uh, personal touch. Yes. So people know uh, if they have a problem, they can call us, even if it's uh, outside of our expertise. We will refer them to um, reliable resources. People would call us saying, "Oh." We were on our trip to Banff and my car is broken. What do we do? <laughs> Although, so you guys are a one-stop shop <laughs> for, for everyone's needs. Yeah. And that's very powerful uh, to be able to, and maybe a great responsibility too, to be like that resource for an entire community. Yes, definitely. And, and like, um, yeah. And, and I think, what is, how, how do you see the, or I know uh, you yourself, you're coming uh, to the end of your tenure there as executive director. And, uh, you know, it, maybe what have been some of the things that have changed under your, your time there that you saw improve or that you wish can be done better in the future? Or like, how has things changed in the last five years? Um... I would say the biggest change uh, I have noticed was uh, downtown east side. And uh, the, everything is just uh, like more severe compared to five years ago when I started. And that's like the, uh, so the downtown east side is an area in Vancouver where there's a, uh, a drug problem, a homeless problem, uh, in fact, a, a social challenge with with how to deal with a lot of our city's most vulnerable citizens. Um, and and uh, how many do you estimate are of Chinese background or Chinese immigrants? Uh, that's, you mean uh, people who are living on the street, how much percentage? Yeah, because well, um, through one of the organizations uh, I work with, which is the Muslim Care Center, um, mm -hmm. So on, on Hastings Street, we were 
uh, which provides free meals and services to, to everyone, mental health services, to anyone who needs it. But uh, we came across a number through that work that about there's about 300 Muslim people who are on the downtown east side. And before working there, I, I had no idea. Like people have an assumption of who the demographic is, but it's really all types of people, all backgrounds from all walks of life, from all histories. Um, and, and I think that something that um, is so important is the work being done there because it shows what can happen when we stop helping each other or we're not solving the societal problems that lead to people being in such a situation. Um, so from the Chinese community perspective, how do you, how do you see what's going on down there? Uh, I'm not sure the percentage, um, but we have lots of uh, Chinese seniors living in senior homes in the area. And uh, we also work closely with uh, downtown Eastside Women Center and uh, provide uh, language specific support to help the women here and other shelter, other organization. And there's a, a lot of elders who live there, a lot of new immigrants, a lot of refugees. The, the, the area has a broad section of society um, coexisting there. Um, but as, as you know, there's a lot of difficulties. There's a lot of challenges um, in, in trying to uh, take care of the needs of the community who live there, especially the um, unhoused population or the, uh, the population who uh, have substance abuse uh, issues. Um, so ha have you been doing work there along those lines, whether um, mental health or drug addiction recovery or, or homelessness issues? Um, we have been having the uh, Knitting Heart program for the past three years. Uh, we organize Chinese seniors to knit uh, tukes and scarves for the downtown east side uh, homeless uh, neighbors. So every year, uh, in the past two years, we every year we pretty much giving out uh, 100 to 200 packages. Oh, wow and to help them feel like they are cared and uh, hopefully keep them warm in the it's, winter. Especially, uh, you know, Vancouver winters are, they do get cold. And uh, I think this uh, winter is supposed to be one of the worst in a long time. Um, so to have that service is, is very impactful. And, and, and it is interesting how, how you're saying over the last five years, like it seems to have just, it's not working, things have gotten worse. And, Part of that can be due to the fentanyl crisis, um, which is, is just impacted a lot of people down there in a very negative way. Um, but um, yeah, have you seen any, any good signs, any signs of um, improvement or things that you think that are in the right direction? Um, I think early this year, City of Vancouver has a straight uh, cleaning pilot uh, program. And uh, I know Ben is uh, all really welcome the program. The streets definitely look cleaner and uh, just a better environment to make everyone feeling good. So that goes back to what you were saying earlier about the businesses needing clean streets so that, that customers will come and, and it creates uh, economic movement. Exactly. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that is so important is how all the communities tie in together. Like the Chinese community has been in Vancouver since the very beginning. 
you know, I think the Vancouver Chinatown is, is one of the oldest in North America. And uh, it has designated status, is that correct? Uh, it's, it's recognized as, as being, uh, you know, a historical site. It's, yes, uh, the Chinatown Vancouver uh, is assessing the possibility to apply for the UNESCO designation. Oh, wow. So it's a, like an international recognition from UNESCO. Hopefully. <laughs> it's <laughs> under the uh, process of uh, evaluation and it's a long process. Um, it's probably like it would be next 15 years. Uh, if, wow. Yeah, it's a really long process. So hopefully um, Chinatown Vancouver will be able to get a destination and it would help the entire community and pull resources together to facing some of the social issues. Um, yeah, we really all need to work together. Uh, agreed. And, uh, you know, so much of what this last couple of years have taught us is that we are really connected. <laughs> like, no matter what people think, like, we are actually very, very dependent and interdependent on, on one another. And, and organizations such as, as yours play a big part in helping address specific concerns within the wider community, because people don't necessarily always see how everything influences each other. And if you take one part out, things can can be uh, collapse. Um, so where, where do you see the organization going? And I know you're leaving soon and we'll get to that in a minute, but where do you see the, the Chinese Community Policing Center going? What's the, the direction it's gonna go in in the next five, 10 years? Um, I would say as this is really generic, just the uh, Chinese Community Policing Center would continue be the bridge between the community and um, and the uh, criminal justice system. That's the general direction. I don't expect that would change. And uh, specific program, uh, it probably depends on the current situation. And we're always trying to come up with more innovative idea to address the root cause of those issues. And, and the root causes of a lot of the issues, um, especially the, the discrimination, the racism, what spreads it, at least in our research, we found it to be online. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, of anti-Chinese memes, racist comments things like that. Have, have your community reported uh, those experiences online? Uh, it, it has been there like all the time. And um, I will say for decades, <laughs> it's not just recently. And uh, if we talk about reporting, um, where does that go? It's like, um, yeah, we can report it and, uh, and then um, the website can say, uh, put it down, but if people think it's funny and they're going to spread around uh, themselves. Mm. Yeah, I think there are some, um, like we really need to work together and understand each other and see each other as individual human beings, not just the label of groups and you're Asian, you're Chinese whatsoever. Um, if you ask me, I would say Chinese culture would only have two things in common. We care about families 
we love food. <laughs> For the rest, like each uh, each city, each province, uh, each individual family could be really different. And that's within within one country. Uh, with you know, majority speak the same language, majority same ethnicity, majority you know same worldview, and and so even within that, there's so much differences. So I exactly. think that's, that's a very good point um, because you know part of what we're seeing is the trend towards you know people living their real world life online. So to make sure that it doesn't become uh, any worse and how it becomes better, um, like how how we're trying to. Uh, focus on building the real world and virtual networks to make that happen um, and, and to ensure that every community is safe, every community feels welcome um, and that they're not being targeted or attacked or, you know, I think it, recently there's just been so much uh, focus, but as you're saying, it's not new. The hate online is not new. It's been there for a long time uh, since the beginning and, you know, the, with the, the increase in memes and what what have have you had people coming to the office saying like we're upset about this we're we don't like what we're seeing or have people just been mostly like it is what it is we can't do anything about it yeah most people is like we cannot do anything about it uh it's it's a widespread and um yeah what unless people's uh perspective change I don't foresee uh, like those online uh, hate-related speech would be uh, taken down, and they all they always find some other ways to uh, come back. And yeah, I, I I think that it is such a challenge, and I know a lot of organizations are working on solutions. Uh, you know, we're working on bringing together communities to create virtuous online networks and help influence the flagging, reporting, and taking down of uh, things as soon as possible, because every little bit will help change it. And, and we need to fight uh, this battle together, because as you we were saying earlier, the root causes, well, the misinformation, the disinformation, the hate it's spread online at the moment, at least, you know, it, it seems to be, who knows what's going to happen with, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and his metaverse idea, and what, what kind of online hate will be there. But at the moment, mostly it's social network platforms and to deal with that um, as united communities is very important. Yeah, a lot of situation uh, people, if they say that appear often, that's the reality to them. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would say like online uh, taking down the hate related uh, issue i'm pretty sure there would be uh, lots of people saying where is the freedom of speech yeah <laughs> freedom freedom of speech yeah exactly exactly and and i think i think that um they, they might just uh, be unaware that the online hate speech that is directed towards communities that dehumanizes them that degenerates them that in causes people to act with violence is a crime and it is something that all platforms, uh, at least in writing, say they should take down. But again, that's not happening how it should. So areas of improvement for us to uh, find solutions for. Um, but anyway, like bringing it back to the real world, uh, so what are your plans? What are your, what are your visions now that your tenure with uh, the Chinese Community Policing Center is coming to an end? 
Well, um, my future plan is not concrete yet, uh, but I know I would be um, working um, to equip people and the organization to realize um, what they have and what they can have. If, if we don't know what rights we have, there's no way we can stand up for it. Mm. And uh, if I don't know what I already have, I will not use it. And uh, I would also love to continue working with uh, like-minded people like you to find a solution, sustainable solution, not just uh, saying, oh, here this thing rising up, we deal with this. And then the next thing uh, coming up, we're all rushing over to find another solution and then band-aid this. Um, it, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it, it has to be uh, holistic, systemic, and long-term. Yeah, and in my opinion, uh, criminal justice is just part of the justice. And um, if everything comes down to escalated to criminal justice level, there's already like not much the system can offer us. Saying uh, systemic change, it's one thing, but uh, like how to how to help people better understand each other right. and uh, how to minimize those chances of uh, indigenous uh, injustice happening and reduce the negative uh, impact of those injustice as something else. And also um, how to let people understand that justice is not just one person or one group's justice. Like when we're trying to promote one thing uh, it helps with some people's justice. How about the other group? So I don't think, uh, let's say we have anti-Asian hate crime, uh, just uh, focusing on this, we would be able to find a solution. Like you said, we really need to work together with um, our people with different backgrounds. We all experience similar injustice uh, in different um, directions, scenario. Yeah. I think uh, those are very powerful words and agreed completely. Justice uh, for everyone and, and a fair just, a just justice for everyone and addressing it holistically is the way to go. And um, again, uh, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, it's always a beautiful experience to gain insight into another, another community, another understanding, another lived experience, because so often we're stuck in silos. So thank you, Alicia. Thank you for helping me to break down some silos of thought today and as we learn more about each other. Um, and if you have any final words for our audience, anything you want to say to them as a follow-up or an invitation or an idea, I give the final word to you. Thank you again for um, the invitation. And uh, it's, it's always a good conversation with you to discuss those uh, meaningful topics. Uh, if I would give a final word to our audience, it would be keep the hope up. Doesn't matter what the circumstances